warm-up question. Uh, is it um, easier to begin a brand new thing or to restart an old thing? Which is easier, which is harder? Say it again. New, restarting a whole an old thing is easier or harder? Harder. Harder to restart an old thing? Agreed. Yeah, you know, a lot of nods. Anybody think it's uh, easier to restart an old thing than just to jump? Depends. You, you, you can think of exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. First, our, our morning service was like that, too. There's a lot more people there, but probably 80, 85% of them said, oh, yeah, it's, it's harder to pick something old up. I think it depends a little bit how you think of it, right? But, but when things aren't going well in life or you've, you've uh, experienced some turbulence, some tumult, something like that, there's been some sort of wipeout in life, then just kind of setting fire to everything and going in a completely new direction can feel a little bit liberating, right? Um, as someone said uh, in this morning's service, uh, there's no baggage involved, right? You just get to, to restart. Uh, but if you have to start over on something that hasn't gone well, all right? If you have to take ground that you already took before, right? If you've been climbing a mountain, you slid down, and now you have to climb that same stretch again, that can be really demoralizing. That can be emotionally burdensome. And so uh, we're doing this sermon series on what does faith get you when, and we've talked about all these various life situations. What does faith get you when you're rich, when you're poor, when, you know, when you're angry? What does faith get you when you're in transition to a new thing, to a new season? Well, what does faith get you when you're not in transition but wish you were? You know? what, is, what does faith get you when you have to pick it up and start over again? You know, when you don't get to do something new, but instead you have to renew something. And I think that's a super vital uh, life skill. Um, I, uh, I think of, of exercising uh, whenever I, I meditate on this uh, concept. Um, I've always been a really athletic guy. Um, <clears throat> and here's what I've noticed about trying to be fit as I've gotten older. I'm in my 50s now. It's like, it takes you a long time to get fit, and then about 48 hours to get totally unfit, <laughs> right? And then you just have to start over again, and you have to climb back up that mountain. So it wasn't very long ago, like, you know, I was in my 50s, but I was like a cross-country coach. I was working out every day, and, you know, I could still tick off, you know, sub-six-minute miles and stuff like that. And then, and then 2021 happened. You know, and as many of you know, this is just a year of devastating losses for my family, uh, repeated losses, some of which you know, and some of which I just can't even talk about yet. And, you know, exercise seems like a luxury when you're struggling with, with some of the big issues in life, right? So I just, I went months really without doing much of anything. And then you have to recover. Then you have to start over again. And I've had to do that in different times in life. Sometimes because of crises, sometimes because of injuries or something like that. And, and there's always this moment, I just go through it, where you're preparing to do the pull-up or the push-up or to go for a run, and you're like, well, not doing the push-up isn't going to help me. 
you know, that's kind of where my faith level is. Like, not going for a jog isn't going to help me. I'm not sure this is going to work, but not trying certainly isn't going to work. Uh, and there's kind of that, that moment where you decide if you have the faith to start over, which is a very unique sort of faith. Uh, I mention exercise because, I mean, I'm looking around and... <laughs> So some of you, I'm, 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 not, I'm not naming names, but New Year's resolutions are coming. That's all I'm saying, people. Think about it. The Christmas resolutions, yeah. Before the, before the Christmas feeding starts. Uh, I, I think it's often harder to start over than it is just to start. But in life, it's at least as important to develop the skill to start over things that haven't gone well or that used to go well but have dropped to the wayside, either because you screwed up or because life screws you up. Sometimes life is hard, and sometimes the mountain avalanches. Whenever I think about uh, this, I think about the same Bible story from the end of John, uh, the sort of the last story in the book of John, really. I've preached on it several times over the last decade at Blue Water. And it's about um, you know, Jesus uh, conversing with the disciples and especially with Peter. This is after he's been resurrected. They've actually seen him in risen form a couple times. Um, but at the point in the story where Jesus has risen again, they believe that he's risen again, he's still Lord, but they don't really know what to do about that. You know, And a lot of times in life we find ourselves in that position. Yeah, we believe that Jesus is the risen Lord. What the heck does that mean for my life, you know, what, what, should I, what should I do with that? And the very first followers of Jesus struggle with the same situation, uh, maybe a bit uniquely. Um, but we pick it up in the last chapter of John. I'll just read it to you. I don't think we have it on the big board. Um, and it's uh, really two stories in one. It's a story and a conversation. And it's about the disciples, a lot of whom were fishermen from this backwoods place called Galilee. Um, and so that's how the scene opens. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. So what that tells you is all the local kind guys from Galilee are hanging out together on the beach, right? And these are people that sort of probably grew up together and did the same sort of work around the seashore. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, eh, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Often night fishing is best, the fish come up to the surface, they fish with nets, it was easier to catch them when they were in shallow water. But they caught nothing, they totally struck out. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Dig, dig, dig. You know, ah, you struck out, huh? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Uh, sometimes people from shore would help out the fishermen. Maybe they could see a little ripple of a shoal of fish that the fishermen on the boat couldn't see. So, all right, so... When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. 
Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. They recognize that it's him. If you're a student of the Gospels, you may recall that this miraculous haul of fish happened to them before with Jesus, early on in, in the, their days of following Jesus, when they had struck out Jesus instructed them to put out into deep water and throw their nets over. You don't throw nets in deep water. That's not how they did it, but they did it anyway because Jesus said it. They had a miraculous haul of fish then. They get this miraculous haul of fish, and they're like, ah, signature. This is Jesus, I think. You know, In his resurrected form, Jesus would appear, but often people would not recognize him. You know, There's some, something about his appearance, his apparition, that was different. I think it works the same today. Jesus often appears in our life, and we don't recognize that it's him. Right? Jesus shows up and says, hey, try this thing, or in this case, try again. And we're like, who said that? Who said that? You know, Sally tells a great story about that. This voice said, and then God's like, yeah, that's not my voice. Here's my voice. Um, it is the Lord. Anyway, they make the realization. I think this, that was Jesus' guidance, and this is Jesus' presence. Uh, and so Simon, he wrapped his outer garment around himself, made himself presentable, and jumped into the water, which is evidently what you do when you're fully clothed. The other disciples followed in the boat, sensible, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus had uh, specked out some breakfast. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So they had a, a nice breakfast. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Great story. It goes on. Jesus turns his attention now to Peter, to Simon Peter, who was the chief of the disciples previously, but who had denied Christ most deeply uh, during uh, the 24 hours of Jesus' murder. And of course, all these guys abandoned him on the cross, except for John. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, which is a very indirect uh, reference to Simon's boast earlier uh, when he said, even if everyone denies you, I won't, Jesus. Well, Peter did, in a big way, denied that he even knew Jesus when Jesus was on trial. So do you love me more than these, Peter? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Take care of people. Take care of the flock, Peter. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus prophesies as to the manner of Peter's death. He would be executed in captivity in uh, the years to follow. I love that conversation because it's just filled with things that aren't said. And as an arch introvert, I always like that. Right? It's what you don't say in a conversation that's the most important. And so Jesus raises the issue, do you love me? And, and what's Peter expecting? Peter is expecting Jesus to be like, then why did you deny me three times when I was dying alone? Thank you very much. You call yourself a minister. We have to get some stuff sorted out, Peter. But instead, Jesus says, oh, okay, take care of people then. You know, and doesn't mention... <laughs> the details of what went down. Explicitly avoids mentioning it, uh, which I really love. It just says something about the heart of God, doesn't it? Um, The story opens again. uh, The boys are returning to what they used to do. They're fishermen, so they go back to fishing. They're starting over, right? They're starting something over, right? They're going back to something they used to do, fishing. But it turns out, They're fishing for the wrong things. And Jesus kind of shows up to make that point. You're starting over, but you're not not starting over on on, uh, the cool stuff. You're starting over on the safe stuff. So let's sort that out, boys. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, They have started over at fishing, but they have been unsuccessful uh, fishermen, uh, as it turns out. uh, Hope deferred. Um, they were hoping for a big catch to kind of make their way in the world. They probably don't have much money. Uh, their careers were destroyed earlier by following Jesus. You know, you can imagine the situation. Um, and, and they get this miraculous haul of fish. There's this breathtaking moment where they're like, you know, it's the Lord. It's him. We recognize him. 153 fish they caught. 153 was the number of nations that they thought was in the world at that time. That was like the official Roman world number of nations on earth. Um, And so it's very symbolic. It's like, I told you you were supposed to be fishers of men among the nations. Right? So, just so you don't miss it, I'm displaying it in front of you right now. Eat your breakfast. I think that was the conversation. Um... They had been on top of the world with Jesus at one point, right? They were doing miracles left and right. Every day was a new discovery. Their spiritual life was just on fire. They were quite sure that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to restore Israel to greatness. At least some of them thought that he was going to kick out the Romans, which is what the good Messiah was supposed to do. It all came crashing down. All came crashing down. And they saw Jesus murdered. In addition, they saw themselves fail. They compounded the situation by abandoning their their trust. Can't blame them, right? Everything that went down, the political environment was very, very dicey. They literally were afraid that they were going to get killed as well. Um, And what's Jesus' prescription to to that. They're in a situation where they have to start over. And and what he does is he shows up, uh, looks him in the eye, uh, in the instance looks Peter in the eye, and says, essentially, 
get back to work. You know, there's no inner healing prayer. <laughs> there's no repentance season, right? Jesus just shows up and says, you've still got the work to do. Everything went wrong, but my purpose in your life is still my purpose in your life. Did you think that changed? I told you you were going to be fishers of men. And just because the world blew up doesn't change the fact that you're going to be fishers of men. Right? Just because your life blew up, just because it turned out that you're a bigger wretch than you thought you were, just because dot, 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 fill in the blank, doesn't change for a moment what your purpose was. You know? Comforting, challenging, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. But Jesus just shows up to remind them that, um, that God's purpose in their lives is consistent, even when everything else uh, might not be. He doesn't want from them a lot of wrestling with guilt. <laughs> you know, he certainly doesn't want to shame them for what happened. He doesn't want to say, I told you so. He doesn't even want to explain things a great deal. He only shows up a few times in pretty weird ways, frankly. He just wants them to get on with it again. Get on with it again. And uh, maybe some of you are at that moment. You know, it's, it's not fancy. It's, it's not deep. It's not heart-churning. It's just like, you have a job, right? You just got to figure out how to get back on the horse, to use the old country phrase. Do you guys know that phrase? If you're riding a horse and the horse bucks you, the rule is get back on the horse immediately. Because if you don't, um, the, horse, the horse learns that he's in charge, for one thing. But you let the fear settle in your heart. Right? You develop a bad habit almost immediately. So before you can get thrown in your soul, you have to get back on the beast and start riding again. And I think this is probably a time in the world and maybe a time in some of our lives where we just have to jump back on that horse now. You know, We have to do the things that we felt God called us to do previously. And nothing that's happened in life, nothing that's happened in the world, nothing that's happened in your relationships or in our church or at your job or your lack of job or anything else affects that one bit. You know, what Jesus told you to do, and Jesus told you to do it. Um, the Bible is full of stories of, of recovery and renewal, right? It's not like new things, but it's renewed things. And that's what's going on here with the disciples. Jesus is renewing them, renewing their call. The disciple is, the, the Bible is, is often about forgiveness and grace, which are virtues that speak of wiping the slate clean, right? Starting over. Whatever got mucked up is gone. Just get back to it. And so you would expect some good recovery stories. It's also a book that's filled with a certain attitude that you might call, you know, resilience or stubbornness or maybe just faith. Faith is... Trying. Faith is trying. Very often, faith is just trying again. Most important word in the English language? Try. Most important sentence in the English language? Try again. And that is what I've learned about faith in the decades that I've been following God. Um, another way to say it is that faith bounces. You know, when a person of faith falls, 
faith makes them bounce back up. Faith bounces. Everybody say bounce. bounce. Faith bounces. Uh, Moses was the deliverer of the nation of Israel, but on his way, he was a murderer. <laughs> right? It took him 40 years in the desert. And then finally, he's like, all right, I'll go. You know, the Lord uh, had to uh, work with him a long time to get him back to where he needed to be to fulfill the call that was on his life originally, that he had screwed up on by trying to take a shortcut. Uh, King David, man after the Lord's own heart, also murdered a man in order to sleep with his wife. Not his best season, you know? But he bounced back, wrote some awesome psalms, uh, took his country to even greater greatness, and fought some epic battles from there. We just talked about the Apostle Peter, who denied Christ, became the rock on which the church was built, just like Jesus told him he would be. Jesus himself did his best work after being publicly murdered on the cross in humiliating fashion. You know, all these comeback stories, right? All these renewal stories, and it's just a hallmark of our faith, and this is a great time for us to be remembering them. Uh, what I'm saying is, part of faith will always be refaith. Uh, part of being his mercies made new every morning would be uh, just renewing uh, things that we thought uh, we had screwed up on. Um, so some tips for that. Uh, how do you restart things? What does faith get you when you need to restart things? Well, it gets you bounce. You know, It's the ability uh, to pick it up and to take off again as if not much had happened. So here are some tips uh, for helping that along, things that I've learned in my many restarts in life. Uh, number one, never get hung up on being forgiven. You know, when something has go gone wrong, when either you feel that you've screwed up or people have accused you of screwing up, don't worry too much about being forgiven. In the kingdom of God, getting forgiven, super easy. God forgives at the first likely excuse. What's hard is trusting that God has forgiven you. Uh, Jesus, really easy forgiver. Uh, but like Peter, we often need it to be worked out <laughs> for us to trust it so that we can get on with life. So don't worry about that too much. If uh, one of the things that has taken you out of the game is that you're mad at somebody else, well then forgive them very easily as well. Uh, because that will help you to move more freely and to move on. You know, forgive fast um, and get moving. Be forgiven fast and, and get moving. If God has to work something out with you, believe me, he'll do it. Right? Just be open to him and he will bring it up. Um, but don't let it stop you uh, for long. Tip number two, uh, when you are in need of recovery or renewal, recover as you go. I'm not a big fan of these seasons of healing, these seasons of recovery. Sometimes you need them, okay, I know that. But it is rarely the case that you need to stop out of life in order to restore yourself such that you can get back to ministry, get back to kingdom business. The reality is that we are restored as we minister. I've spoken often at Blue Water of my seasons of deep depression in life is something that I struggle with uh, quite a bit. And I have said this often, maybe you've heard it. The only smart thing I did when I was suicidally depressed is that I kept ministering. 
I, I planted a church when suicidally depressed. Is that allowed? I don't even know if that's allowed, but it was really smart, and it probably saved my life. Recover as you go. Never stop out. Well, I say never. It's a bit hyperbolic, because every once in a while, you know, you have to take a little concentrated time, but it's going to be a little concentrated time, right? Don't let recovery be a lifestyle. Have a lifestyle with a little recovery in it as you go. That's a Jesus principle. I didn't make that up. That's a Jesus principle. Peter, do you love me? Yes? All right, let's forget about that other stuff for the time being and get back to work. I believe you'll iron out the wrinkles as you go. So whatever it is you feel that you were doing, called to do, get back to it. And uh, God will work out your personal stuff as you go. Feed my sheep, he said to Peter. Another story I like is when Elijah is depressed and in the cave on Mount Oreb in the middle of the, the desert after he freaked out and God shows up to him. You remember what God says to him? When Elijah had had enough, broke, and stopped out? I love this first line. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's how most translations run it. It's like, I get it, buddy, but this is not a time for you to hide in a cave. Right? And immediately following, the only thing God does is explain the work that he has for Elijah to do. That's the entire interaction. Never addresses Elijah's depression. Never addresses any of the things that drove him nuts. Just said, I still have work for you to do. And I think maybe some of you need to hear that. You think you want to hear God say, oh, I understand your pain. I understand your hurt. And, which, of course, he does. But don't be surprised if instead God shows up and says, you know, I still have purpose for your life. And somehow that does the trick. Somehow that gets our soul to where it needs to be. Last night, God's already on this with you. There you go, dearie. Um, so restart uh, as soon as you can. Get back on the horse. Number three, uh, my favorite saying from Alcoholics Anonymous, progress, not perfection. Right? Don't think about refinishing. Think about restarting. <laughs> Right? Put into bite-sized pieces. You know, I used to run 10 or 15 miles a day and feel great. Uh, I went for a three-mile run the other day with my dog and almost died. Uh, the dog dragged me back home. Uh, the key to doing is trying, right? The key is the first 60 seconds of anything that you do, right? You're not out of shape because you don't exercise at the gym. You're out of shape because you don't get to the gym. Once you get there, you'll exercise, right? Once you lace up and get outside and start moving, you will run. But it's that, it's that little first bit of progress that wins the battle or loses the battle. You know, once you start praying, you'll pray. Uh, once you start the difficult conversation, you'll have the difficult conversation. The problem is that we worry about navigating it perfectly, or finishing well, or achieving what we need to achieve. What we need to worry about is just 
progress. It's just motion. Motion, you know. Uh, as I say to myself sometimes in supernatural ministry, motion, not miracle. If I get moving, I'll get to the miracles eventually. You know, there are some days I don't feel like a miracle worker. Where's the gasp? <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite saying from my favorite author, G.K. Chesterton, is anything worth doing is worth doing yeah, badly. <laughs> is that, is that, she's heard that before. Is that phrase, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Well, that just stops you with intimidation. Right? Anything worth doing is worth doing badly, which means if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. Who cares if you suck at it? It's worthy. Right? So do it badly if you have to, because you know what that is? Motion. That's progress. Key to my whole life. Trying might not work, but not trying certainly won't help. Number four, you're going to restart something old. Learn one thing from last time. Learn one thing from the last time you did it. Maybe it's something that went wrong. Maybe it's something that you learned helped you particularly well. Learn one thing as you restart. Just take a moment and think, well, what's one thing that I've learned in life doing stuff like this? And the reason I say that is because I find it encouraging when I do it. I take courage from feeling that maybe I can improve a little bit this time around. That almost always helps my attitude. And, and my attitude sucks as a rule, you know. But, but I do love learning things. And it's like, well, you know, I got I to gotta start this over with God. I don't want to start this over with God. I can't think of any reason why it's going to go different this time, God. <laughs> All right, well... What's one thing that you can bring to it that you learned last time that might help you? And there's just something about that that I find very empowering. You know, I say learn one thing. Because if you worry about learning more than one thing, say, all right, this time I'm going to do it perfectly. Well, no, no. Then you're sunk, right? Then you've just talked yourself into anxiety again. But it, just, just one thing, just one thing. Well, the miracle didn't work that time. Here's one thing that I think might help. And, and that keeps you moving forward in life. Get it? Any questions? We can do that with a crowd this size. Sometimes we do it with the big crowd as well, because people are rude. But we can really do it <laughs> with a crowd this size. 